When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. A warning. This episode features dramatizations and discussions of murder, sexual content, gore, and violence that some people may find offensive. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note. All myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into ancient Greek traditions. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. Peleus stared out from the balcony at the burning city. He expected the battle to continue until dawn, though his victory was now inevitable. He had secured the palace and imprisoned his half-brother, King Aeson. In the morning, the citizens of Iolkos would bow to Peleus as their new king. A woman's pained cries reached Peleus's ears. Aeson's wife, Alcimede, had gone into labor earlier that night, probably induced by the shock of the surprise coup. By the sounds of things, the child would be here soon. Peleus descended to the dungeon, determined to get his grim task over with quickly. He had promised his mother that Aeson and Alcimede would not be harmed in the takeover. He had made no such promise for the child. Peleus entered the cell to find Alcimede surrounded by her handmaids. The women were weeping over a small bundle in Alcimede's arms. A smile spread across Peleus's features as he realized what this meant. So your child did not survive the birth. All for the best, I'm sure you realize. I could not allow a potential challenger. Please, he should be buried properly. Let me take him to my family's tomb. So be it. As Peleus strode out of the cell, Alcimede clutched the infant a bit tighter. Her plan had worked. The child was not dead, and he would be raised in secret, far from Peleus's murderous reach, until the day came when he would return to Iolkos and claim his rightful place as king. Welcome to Mythology on the ParCast Network. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. 
Today we're looking at the story of Jason and the Golden Fleece. It's an epic seafaring adventure full of monsters and magic, featuring a super team of some of antiquity's greatest heroes. Named after the ship on which they sailed, they were known as the Argonauts. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to ParCast.com merch for more information. The legend of Jason and the Golden Fleece is one of the most famous and enduring of all the Greek myths. Memorable scenes, such as the Argonauts' confrontation with the Harpies, appear repeatedly in classical Greek artwork, and it was so ubiquitous by the time of Homer that in the Odyssey, Circe references it as a tale that was known to all Greeks. The most complete version comes from the poet Apollonius of Rhodes, who compiled the stories of Jason's voyage in his masterpiece, the Argonautica, in the 3rd century BC. It's a story of heroism in the face of impossible obstacles and awe-inspiring creatures. But the element that most differentiates Jason's tale from other early Greek myths is the down-to-earth nature of its human characters. Jason accomplishes some incredible feats during his journey, but his abilities pale next to those of other mythic heroes. He has neither the genius of Odysseus or the bravery of Achilles. He receives occasional help from the gods, but nothing like the sword of Zeus, the sandals of Hermes, or any of the gifts bestowed on Perseus. Indeed, Hercules seems to feature in the story primarily to remind us that Jason is not the greatest hero. There are others better suited to his task, and yet it is his task to complete. It's these qualities that make Jason perhaps the most relatable of the Greek heroes. He's under-equipped and under-prepared, bungling his way from one adventure to another, surviving only through the assistance of secondary characters, occasional divine intervention, and his own plucky determination. The wrestlers grunted with exhaustion, trying to throw one another off balance. The finest athletes in all of Greece had come to Iolkos to compete in King Peleus's games, but the king could barely keep his eyes open. He had spent the night pacing his chambers, racked with worry over the oracle's prophecy. She had told him to beware a kinsman wearing one sandal, but all of Aeson's children were dead. Peleus had seen to that 20 years ago. The spectators parted to allow the soldiers through. The young man they were dragging between them looked to be no older than 20. Waves of golden curls cascaded to his back, and a leopard-skin pelt was draped over his lean shoulders. He looked up at Peleus and smiled. What an honor, an audience with the king. And all I had to do was get arrested. Who is this man? I am Jason, your highness. And I'm sorry about interrupting the match. I was hoping to compete myself, but your men stopped me. Peleus was about to respond when he noticed something that filled him with cold terror. The right foot of the man standing before him was bare. 
Young man, what happened to your sandal? My sandal? I lost it in a river on the way here, helping an old woman get across. Has assisting the elderly become a crime? Tell me, Jason, and please do not lie. From what land do you hail? From Iolkos, originally. But I have not been home in some time. And why is that? I left the country when you murdered my siblings and imprisoned my father. I am Jason, the son of Aeson, and rightful king of Iolkos. The throne was gifted to my father by Zeus himself, and since I have no intention of rejecting a gift from the gods, I'm afraid I'll be needing it back. Peleus's lips trembled. He became aware that the crowd was watching him, waiting for his response. His mind raced. Jason was just one man, but Peleus could not engage him in direct combat with the prophecy hanging over their heads. He had to think of some way to get rid of Jason. So be it. I am too old for war. The throne shall be yours. All that I ask before stepping down is that you complete one minor errand. And what might this errand entail? You have heard, I am sure, of the Golden Fleece, the pelt of the Ram of Zeus, who rescued your ancestor Phrixus from murder at the hands of his mad stepmother. The Ram carried him across the sea to the land of Colchis, and on those distant shores he slaughtered it in a sacrificial offering to the gods as thanks for saving him. And it still hangs from the bough of an oak tree, guarded by a dragon that never sleeps. Yeah, I've heard the stories. Zeus demands that the fleece be returned to Thessaly. I would see the task done myself, but as I have said, I am too old for these matters. You, on the other hand. When I return with the fleece, you will surrender the throne. Return with the fleece, and it is yours. Peleus smiled. Just as he thought, this boy wanted glory. The throne would be there when he returned, if he ever did, which Peleus doubted very much. It was, as the king well knew, an impossible task. Colchis was on the other side of the world, further away than any Greek had ever sailed. After leaving Peleus, Jason could not wait to get started. Here at last was an opportunity to prove himself worthy of kingship, to prove himself a leader worth following. He sent word far and wide that he was looking for a crew for the most dangerous journey ever undertaken. The men came from all across Greece, drawn by the promise of glory and adventure. And when they came, they were put to work months of work. Jason gritted his teeth in exertion. Sweat stung his eyes, and the thick ropes bit into the flesh of his arms and torso. He pulled with all his might, but the ship wouldn't budge. Around him, he could hear the exasperated groans of the crew. A rope snapped, sending the man holding it tumbling into the river. They had been working for hours, trying to drag the Argo from the riverbank. It was the finest ship that Jason had ever seen, a long, slender war galley of pitch-black oak, with 25 sets of oars and a single mast growing from the center. It had been designed and built specifically for this journey, 
which now seemed doomed to fail, even before it had begun. The ship's too heavy. We'll never get her in the water. I promised you the impossible, Idas. You men, grab some of those logs and lay them before the hole. We'll roll her into the waves. Orpheus, grab your lyre and give us a tempo we can work to. The Argo's hull groaned and shifted an inch before coming to a halt once more. The men pulled with all their might, but it wasn't enough. Got room for one more? Hercules. The men craned their necks for a view of the famous hero. Stripping off his lion pelt, Hercules took one of the spare ropes hanging from the ship, wrapped it around his chest, and began to pull. Inspired and eager to impress the son of Zeus, the crew threw themselves into their work with renewed vigor. At long last, the Argo began to move. The ship slowly began to slide across the sand until at last, it slid into the water. As the men celebrated, Jason looked in awe at the crew he had gathered. There were Castor and Pollux, the master horsemen, Orpheus, the famed musician who had been to the underworld and returned to tell the tale, and now Hercules, the greatest hero of all, had joined their side. By all accounts, the journey that stood before them was supposed to be impossible, but if any crew could pull it off, this was it. A lump formed in Jason's throat. These men were heroes, some of them even demigods. The most heroic thing he had ever done was to help an old woman cross a river. How was he supposed to captain them? Coming up, Jason and his crew embark on their quest and face the first of many challenges, a battle with giants. Now back to the story. The Argo sailed east from Thessaly and entered the Black Sea, traveling along its southern shore. There was little room on board for supplies, which left them no choice but to stop each night. They relied on whatever game they could find and the hospitality of whatever port city they dropped anchor at. Their first stop was Lemnos, an island populated entirely by women who had murdered their husbands. The women were impressed by the heroic Argonauts and gave them such a warm welcome that the only difficulty was convincing the crew to set sail again. Next came the land of the Doliones and the friendly King Sisychus. He too welcomed the Argonauts, treating them to a lavish feast before sending them on their way. So far, they'd seen nothing but smooth seas and friendly shores. Jason should have known that it was too good to last. The first storm came out of nowhere. Huge waves crashed onto the deck, threatening to drag the rowing Argonauts over the edge and into the deep. Jason stood at the bow, straining to see through the pelting rain. Suddenly, a cliff loomed out of the darkness. Hard to starboard. Make for the shore. But we're blind in this mess. If there are rocks, we'll be sunk. And if we stay out here much longer, we'll capsize. Now row! At last, they reached the shore, soaked but alive. As the men tied off the ship, Jason surveyed the tree line at the edge of the beach and the dark mountain beyond it. He had no idea where they were. Pigeonies! 
Dozens of hulking figures were pouring from the forest. Jason wiped the rain from his eyes to confirm what he was seeing. These figures were twice as tall as any of his crew, with six muscular arms sprouting from their torsos, and they were charging straight for the Argonauts. He whispered a prayer to Athena and drew his sword. Jason hacked wildly, half blinded by the thick mud flying everywhere in the fight. The battle had raged for hours. At some point, an army of human warriors had come to join the fray. The Argonauts found themselves caught between the two armies, battling six-armed Gegenes on one side and sword-wielding men on the other. Another enemy fell beneath Jason's sword, but he was too exhausted to feel any elation or relief. As he struggled to free his blade from the warrior's chest, he wondered how much longer this could go on. Huge arms snaked around Jason from behind, gripping him in a tight bear hug. He fought as they tightened around his windpipe, but the arms were unbelievably strong. He felt hot breath on his ear and heard the rough voice. Go ahead and squirm, little mountain man. The Nemean lion squirmed too. <laughs> Hercules, <coughs> it's me. <coughs> Jason. Hercules released Jason, who fell to his knees, gasping. Sorry, Captain. I can't tell friend from foe in this madness. Jason looked up as the first rays of sunlight flooded the beach over the mountain. It was dawn. Around him, the Argonauts were still locked in battle. But as he watched the fighting, his expression changed to horror. Stop! Stop, I beg you! These men are our friends! The six-armed giants all lay dead. The men who had arrived in the night were the Doliones, the people of King Sisychus, who had welcomed Jason and his crew with feasts. The storm had blown them right back to the shore they'd left the previous morning. As the fighting stopped, the Argonauts and the Doliones looked around at what they had done in shame. Gods forgive us. Jason stood over the body of the man at whose side he had dined the night before. King Sisychus lay dead in the mud, with Jason's bloody sword sprouting from his chest. The funeral of King Sisychus lasted for days, with the Argonauts and Doliones joined in grief for their fallen. Jason and the Argonauts, filled with guilt, made many sacrifices to the gods as penance and held a tournament of games to honor the fallen king and his people. After weeks of mourning, the Doliones bid the Argonauts farewell, with no ill will between them. For the Argonauts, the return to sea came as a welcome distraction, something no one seemed more in need of than Hercules. He rode with a ferocity that troubled Jason, continuing alone long after all the other sailors had grown tired. Stop and rest, Hercules. We've spent enough time resting. Let's get to the fleece already. I want to fight a dragon. Wonderful. You've split another oar straight down the middle. Now will you rest? I suppose there's no other choice. But Hercules seemed unable to sit still. 
As a demigod, his divine strength and energy was often beyond his mortal discernment. When they pulled ashore, he announced that he was going to search for a tree that could serve as a more appropriate oar. We shouldn't be splitting off alone. Take Hylas with you. He'll just slow me down. And what if something happens? I don't need to be looked after by an armor boy. I'll be back before nightfall. But Hylas, heeding Jason's words, did follow Hercules. At least he tried to. The warrior moved too quickly, and before long, the young armor-bearer was left behind in the forest. After hours of trying to find his way back, Hylas had no choice but to admit that he was lost. Hylas followed the mysterious sound, hoping that it was one of his companions, but instead of leading him back to the shore, he soon found himself at the side of a clear crystal pool. As Hylas stopped to take a drink, he realized with a shock that a nymph was staring at him from beneath the surface of the water. She was stunningly beautiful, so much so that Hylas couldn't bear to look away. She beckoned him closer, and he leaned forward. The nymph did the same, pursed lips just breaking the surface. The moment Hylas's lips touched the nymph's, her arms reached up to wrap around his neck. In an instant, she dragged him down into the pool. Meanwhile, the Argonauts were impatiently waiting for Hercules to return. If that oaf doesn't get back in the next hour, Zeus as my witness, we're leaving without him. You want to leave our best warrior behind? Are you mad? You bet I'm mad, Idas. We've been at this for weeks, we've lost a third of the crew, and we're barely halfway to Colchis. Meanwhile, my father is still imprisoned back in Yolkos, and if we don't get the fleece... And I chopped down a tree just to make a big oar, cause I'm much too strong for a regular oar. There the idiot is now. At least he got his oar. Oh, it's larger than you, Idas. Hercules had come marching out of the forest, singing cheerily and carrying what appeared to be a small tree. One moment. Hercules, where's Hylas? Hylas? I thought he was here, on the ship. And we thought he was with you. Now it's nearly dark. We should search in pairs. We don't want to lose anyone else. He's my man. I'll find him. Out of my way. Before Jason could stop him, Hercules charged into the jungle. Hylas! The crew searched through the night and all the next day, but there was no sign of the youth. To make matters worse, Hercules did not return. At the urgings of his crew, Jason waited for the hero until they had exhausted all game in the area. Eventually, even Edos had to admit that Hercules was not coming back, and they had no choice but to continue their journey. As they set sail, Jason privately wondered if he had doomed the mission by leaving their greatest warrior behind. After weeks at sea, the Argonauts were out of food. Jason knew the situation was becoming dire. It wasn't long before growling stomachs turned to grumbling men. No food or land for weeks. Why did we ever agree to this accursed quest? Orpheus, 
How about a song to distract us? Your men are starving and you call for music? Yet another brilliant suggestion from our wise captain. <sighs> Not now, Edas. Then when, Jason? Shall we discuss your incompetent leadership as we sail into Hades? No one's keeping you here, Edas. Feel free to swim back to Ilkos today, tomorrow, yesterday. Oh, I'm sure you'd love to leave me, as you left Hercules. We waited as long as we could, and you knew as well as I he wasn't returning. H hold on. What's that? Admit it. You wanted Hercules gone from the start. You knew he should have been captain. Would you hold your tongue for one minute, Edas? There's land! Land ho! The Argonauts grabbed their oars and rowed for the shore, putting aside their bickering and their eagerness to start the hunt. As they pulled ashore, Orpheus pointed to a pair of birds circling in the distance. Look! Vultures circling above the hill! Then there's something to eat up there. Let's see what they found. At the top of the hill, the Argonauts found a house with a large courtyard. Baskets were piled high outside the house, and when they removed the lids to see what was inside... Apples? Bread? Lamb shanks? They're all full of food! The sailors wasted no time before diving into the sumptuous spread, but they had barely begun stuffing their faces when Jason smelled something that almost ruined his appetite. The men looked up, sniffing and coughing, crumbs dribbling from their bulging cheeks, large feathered wings spread above them. Mm. Jason, I don't think that's a vulture. The creatures could not truly be called birds at all, for while they had the wings, tail, and talons of great raptors, their torsos and heads were those of the most hideous human women. But worst of all was their smell. The overpowering odor of rotting carcasses emanated from the creatures, wafting down toward the sailors with each beat of their powerful wings. Jason covered his nose and mouth, fighting back nausea as the bird women circled above. Suddenly, one of the creatures let out a sharp, cackling cry. Up next, Jason's crew faced their most nightmarish obstacle yet, the half-bird, half-women creatures known as the Harpies. Now back to the story. The Harpies descended on the Argonauts, clawing at their heads and flailing arms with razor-sharp talons. The sailors dropped the baskets, reaching for their swords and spears in a desperate attempt to defend themselves. The winged fiends fell on the food, tearing the baskets to ribbons as they shoveled the contents greedily into their mouths. That's it. Let's send these crows to Hades. Phalanx! The Argonauts pressed together, forming a tight rectangle. They moved forward as a unit, thrusting their spears with a ferocity they had not known they possessed. The Harpies were forced to take to the air, where they hovered just out of reach of the Argonauts' spears, squawking and hissing angrily. The Harpies began to spit and defecate, spraying the remaining food with guano and yellow bile. The Argonauts stared in horror as the creatures took to the skies, 
cackling to themselves, apparently satisfied that all the food had been ruined. The Boreanus twins, fastest of the Argonauts, ran after the harpies. The winged creatures were rapidly disappearing from sight, but the boys raced to the top of the hill and launched their spears into the air. Jason watched as one of the harpies plummeted. The Argonauts were all eager to chase after the fallen harpy, and they were about to depart when the front door of the house creaked open. Are they gone? The sailors turned in surprise as the most emaciated man they had ever seen hobbled out of the house. He felt his way forward, clearly blind. Thank you, Jason and brave Argonauts, for freeing me at last from my tormentors. You know who we are? I know many things, for I am Phineas, the seer of Thrace. Because I shared my visions of the future with other mortals, Zeus became angry with me. He blinded me and sent the harpies to snatch the food from my mouth day after day, leaving me to subsist on this putrefied rubbish. That sounds rather harsh. Mm-hmm. One moment. If those harpies belong to Zeus, won't he be upset with us for running them off? Since you did not kill them, you will not be punished. Especially since your captain Jason appears to have won the favor of the goddess Hera. Hera? Why would the queen of the gods care about me? In due time, my boy. First, we feast. With the harpies gone, the local townspeople came in scores, bearing fresh baskets of food they offered to Phineas in exchange for him reading their futures. Phineas invited the Argonauts to feast with him as thanks. While his men ate and drank themselves into a stupor, Jason pressed the blind seer to explain how he had gained Hera's favor. Oh, she's liked you ever since you helped her at the river. Jason thought back to before his quest for the fleece had begun. He had been on his way to Iolcos, where he was planning to finally reveal himself to King Peleus and challenge him for the throne, when he had seen an old woman wading across a river. She had fallen, and Jason had run to help her. I lost my sandal carrying her across. You're telling me that was Hera in disguise? I had no idea. It was because you did not know and helped her anyway that she deemed you a worthy hero. But the important question, dear boy, is not how you won her favor, but whether you can keep it. I dare say you'll need it if you hope to reach the Golden Fleece. But we must be nearly at Colchis. You will reach Colchis soon, if you follow the route I set for you, and if you can pass the Clashing Rocks, through which no ship has ever sailed. The Symplegades. I was hoping to find a path around them. There is no other way. When you reach the rocks, look for a sign. Hera will let you know whether it is safe to pass. If not, you must turn back, or else you and your crew will surely perish. Then I hope Hera is still fond of me. I shall not return to Iolcos empty-handed. Very well. But keep in mind, Hera rarely takes action herself. She may use another god or goddess to guide you. Look to the skies, and you will have your sign. 
The next day, Jason stood at the bow of the Argo, watching the coastline with grim determination. Phineas's warning hung over him like a dark cloud. Symplegades! Up ahead, massive cliff walls loomed out of the dense fog. A narrow strait cut through the cliffs, forming a thin channel. Jason bid the men to cease their rowing, and they came to a stop at the mouth of the canyon. He scanned the tops of the cliffs and the gray sky above them, searching for the sign Phineas had promised. The crew grew restless, wondering what their captain was looking for. Finally, he directed them to steer ahead into the channel. As the crew obeyed, Jason felt sick. There had been no sign. Perhaps he had just missed it in the fog and everything would be all right. Or perhaps he had made a terrible mistake. They passed into the canyon, its deadly nature swiftly becoming apparent. Rocks jutted out of the sea, creating a labyrinth of hazards. To make matters worse, the wind suddenly increased, kicking up turbulent, frothing waves that threatened to smash the Argo into the cliffs. It's too rough! We've got to turn back! We're not turning back. I won't row to my death for you, Jason! Then move aside! Jason pushed the furious Edos and seized the oars. He rowed in time with his men, adrenaline pulsing through his veins as he eyed the end of the canyon. They were almost through. The walls! The Argonauts looked up in terror as huge boulders tumbled into the sea. The cliffs had begun to move, closing in on the ship like the jaws of a great beast. Row, men! Row! The sailors obeyed, and the Argo sped forward like never before as the great rocks rolled toward them. Up ahead, Jason saw the exit to the canyon close shut. There was no way out. He had led his crew to their deaths. Look. Jason felt a hand on his shoulder and looked up to find Edas staring dumbstruck at the sky above. The sailor pointed wordlessly, and Jason followed his gaze. A white heron soared above the ship, unfazed by the rolling cliffs. A heron. Athena's messenger. That's Hera's sign. Jason watched as the heron dove, soaring through a narrow gap in the cliffs that the captain had not noticed before. Hard to starboard, then full speed ahead! The ship turned after the bird and barreled through the shrinking gap. The rocks closed in around them, scraping against the Argo's hull. Jason felt the ship shudder from the impact, and he heard a violent snap. The Argo burst through the gap into open water, its stern ornament ripped clean off by the clashing rocks. Jason and Edas stared at one another, unable to believe that they were alive. They looked upward at the heron still soaring above them. It was missing a few of its tail feathers. With the Symplegades at their backs and the course plotted by Phineas to guide them, it wasn't long before the Argonauts reached the land of Colchis. They had traveled further than any Greek in history. And yet, Jason knew their quest was far from over. Whatever obstacles they had already faced would be nothing compared to actually acquiring the fleece. 
they sailed up a river and dropped anchor in a quiet backwater. There, hidden by the reeds and dense trees lining the river, Jason peered through his spyglass at the distant city. It was surrounded by enormous, fortified walls topped with glittering gold battlements. The city of Aya. Somewhere within those walls is the Golden Fleece. Tell us, Jason. What is our next move? Before we do anything rash, I thought I might go alone and talk to the king. See if we can't come to an agreement. Just as I thought. Another ploy to steal all the glory for yourself. Please, Idas, no more arguing. If I bring all of you, the king will be more likely to see us as a threat. I don't disagree. But that doesn't mean you have to go alone. I'm coming with you, Captain. I... Well, all right. Let's hope this king can be reasoned with. Oh, my. Would you say that looks like the chariot of a reasonable man? Jason turned around to follow Edas's gaze. A massive army waited for them on the shore. At the front of the army, before the rows of spear-clutching phalanxes, was an enormous golden chariot. The rider was draped in glittering golden robes and armor and wore a golden crown on his head. In his hands was the largest golden scepter Jason had ever seen, which he now pointed at the Argo, ready to call for the attack. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode continuing the story of Jason and the Golden Fleece. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every other Saturday, we dive into another dark, classic tale. You can find Tales, more episodes of Mythology, and all of ParCast's other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast directory. Several of you have asked how to help mythology. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll be back next week with another epic tale. Mythology was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. Mythology is written by Andrew Kelleher. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Jerry Courtney Austin, Sky King, Harris Markson, and Steve Pinto. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 